Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. DTW, report were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Receiving this message. We are Ken Jennings and John Roderick. We speak to you from our present, which we can only assume is your distant past, the turbulent time that was the early 21st century. Fearing the great cataclysm that will surely befall our civilization, we began this monumental reference of strange and obscure human knowledge. These recordings represent our attempt to compile and preserve wonders and esoterica that would otherwise be lost. So whether you're listening from an advanced civilization or have just reinvented the technology to decrypt our transmissions, this is our legacy to you. This is our time capsule. This is the Omnibus. You have accessed entry 1279.NA0206, certificate number 20354, the Tartarian Empire. Grandpa, they'll never tear it down, will they? Well, they'd better not. I can't believe it. Right here where we live. Here in St. Just for the record, for the for the giant termite mounds that we're talking to in the future. Hello. We come from a time of cities and city dwellers. Yes. There's think, a city rural divide we talk about, but it's we're, we live in a city town. Cities are on the grow, yeah. John. I think by the middle of this century, it's estimated that something like 70% of the human race will live in a city. Well, thank goodness that cities are such bucolic utopias. I know. They're so perfect. You can see why everyone would want to come here. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the economic opportunity. The cities are now the engines that drive a non-agrarian economy, and you can see why people would want to live here. But, I mean, have you ever have you ever been a non-city liver? What's the closest you've ever been to a non, to non-city life? You have a Green Acres moment? No. Girlfriend wanted you to move to Petticoat Junction? No. No, I, I, uh, I remember... Uh, moving out to the suburbs uh, a few years ago. This is it. This is the most, this is the least urban you've ever been. Well, I was grousing about it and my mom said, you grew up in the suburbs. Don't get on some (laughs) high horse, some city horse. Because uh, when I was a kid, we lived at 183rd North. Right. In a garden. And um, now I live at 192nd South. So, so, so if you average it together, you still live in central Seattle. Live right in the heart of Pioneer Square. <laughs> Over the course of my life, yeah. I lived in the middle of Seattle. I, ma- I made it all the way to 12th Avenue. 11th. I was on 11th for a long time. That's the joke about the mathematician shooting a rabbit, missing him in front of him and missing him behind him and saying, got him. <laughs> Statistician, I guess. 
Have you ever ever been in a, in a country? Have you been a country person? No, I mean like summers on my grandparents' farm, but that's very much that's like a rite of passage for 20th century children's literature. Is right. these city kids are going to go milk cows for three weeks, and we never even milked a cow. Oh, we just like tried to avoid the cow pies. On my walk across Europe, I don't know if I've talked about it. That wasn't all in cities, surely. Uh, no, it wasn't, and I did get. Uh, I did spend like many weeks in places where there was no jet traffic above. Ah. And, uh, and you, were you feel healthier without the contrast? It was super noticeable when I first heard a jet, when I got under a traffic pattern and, and, and realized that this was a sound I hadn't heard for, for a long time. Jet. They they say that uh, <laughs> they say that what's it called the Ho Rainforest out in Olympic National Park is like the most jet silent place. Oh, in the continental U.S. now, it's like the only place that is not on a flight path. But I think increasingly it's at risk from China new, or... new Trans-Pacific routes into SeaTac. Yeah, if you're going, that, that's the problem. Is the more routes direct from China to Atlanta, all of a sudden <laughs> you're you're getting. Well, wait, no, they'd still go north of us. Probably, yeah. right? That'd go through BC somewhere. Yeah. I think these have to be in or out of, of Seattle. It's amazing how much industrial noise and just city noise we, we're not aware of. And take it take for granted that, like right now, what how many things can we hear? There's uh, a humming. I was out in the San Juan truck. Islands a couple of weeks ago, and I was like, oh, right. I'm not hearing the highway, the garbage no. truck, the planes. The uh, city people talk glowingly of cities uh just uh, it's part of their identity right it's 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 the woody allen speech at the beginning of manhattan about you know kind of conflating the city you live in with your personality i wish we could get a halfway decent reuben sandwich here there's no there's no secret to it we have all the ingredients that that they have back east why do we not we have all the ingredients except for jewish people yes to actually we even have some they just aren't interested in making sandwiches just, for, for us for me yeah. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> yeah. is that problematic if i just want them all to open a deli i don't you know yeah kind I, of it is it, right you, there, there there used to be a great kosher section at that safeway on rainier avenue serving the seward park community and i think it's really they, shrunk but they all moved to mercer island or yeah, or died but even so i don't think they were like churning out the the rubens but you can get rubens all across new york and they're not all Jewish delis. They're mostly owned by Puerto Ricans. I guess now that I think about it, the Reuben is not actually a kosher sandwich because it has oh, cheese sure. on the pastrami. So sure, right. Uh, please do not Russian write to me. Dressing. The, uh, I guess part of it is just the sense of superiority that city people feel, especially the ones who had to move there, who had to get away from what they perceived as a, as a, as a, a backward or opportunity-free background and had to find their people. Do you feel superior to the, to the country? I mean, I don't want to, but then I, I go there and I read their political billboards and I'm like, I'm sure these salt-of-the-earth people are really great at taking care of their neighbors, but they also seem to be maybe in the macro, like kind of bad for civilization. Although on this program, every time we mention some weird little crossroads in the center of the country or down, you know, south of the Mason-Dixon line, we hear from somebody, yeah. an omnibus listener, who says, hey, that's my Chick-fil-A that you mentioned. I live just, just a mile from there, and, and I love all the great shows. And we want to recognize these, these, um, these closeted people sticking it out there. <laughs> good, like, good job. I could not do it. There's no part of you that wants to move to a house in the country. 
in your in your dotage. I mean, increasingly, it's it, you know, it, it used to be a divide, and now the divide has been accentuated not by the fact that um, they're both equally good, but by the fact that one America is clearly dying, and this is their death rattle, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. it, they've been told that they're irrelevant, and no one likes to hear that. And culturally, they did become irrelevant, I guess. But it, it was it, the introduction if, of GPS in combines. Is that what it is? I think it is. I thought it was like maybe if country music had stayed good. It's, yeah, okay. Like if Nashville ahead. hadn't decided to just sound like pop. No, I think it was Cargill uh, in uh, like making it illegal to trade seeds. I've got a lot of theories. <laughs> Let's listen to two guys, two affluent Seattle guys talk about what's wrong with the other America. Well, here's the thing about city living. Like despite hmm. the fact that we take pride in it. It's uh, used to, <laughs> right? Depending on what your city is, uh, it's bad for you. It's oh. really bad. For you. <gasps> really? Yeah, mental health wise. Oh uh, no! City dwellers have twenty one percent more anxiety I, than yeah, can uh, confirm thirty nine percent more mood disorders. Sure, check right. Also, hundred percent more schizophrenia. What? A double hundred percent. Yeah, every, <laughs> everyone here has huh? schizophrenia. No, like it twice as much. You're kidding? Schizophrenia. And it, this seems to be, I looked at the work and it seems to be, you know, based on where people grew up. So Wait, it's, it's close. It's radio towers. They've been right all along. It's the contrails of the 5G. <laughs> They've been right all along. They are, you are hearing voices. Oh, no. You're hearing voices from Ken's iPhone. That's, I'm going to start lining my hats with tinfoil starting today. So there's something about, I don't know. Like, not, we're not joking about schizophrenia. It's a terrible mental illness. Please don't write. We're just joking about 5G. Which is bad. Which is terrible. (laughs) If they built a tower by my house, I would immediately. Wait, I just did the thing where I said we weren't doing something that we absolutely were doing. Yes, we were joking about it, but we're sorry, not sorry. Because you were the worst. Is it worse to do gaslighting than to be unapologetic? Hmm. I just don't like that thing where people go, I wasn't doing the thing that that I was doing. It's it's gaslighting. Yeah. We were totally doing it. Uh, We come from an era when you could still make fun of mental no, we could, did not. We did too. We just have stopped doing it. Do you think do you guys should come back? The big guy, the guy in the white suit with the butterfly net, like running after crazy <laughs> with like a giant like butterfly net the size of a human. I did it the other day. Somebody looked at me. Oh, we didn't have a language in common. Somebody looked at me. I was standing in line, and the person in front of me was doing something, and it wasn't that they were bonkers. It was Can't say bonkers. It was the, the person looked at me and said. Now, what do you want? Like, what are you doing here? Why are you here? And I did the the uh, finger around the ear, sort of like I'm crazy. Like, I don't know what I'm doing here. I'm the I'm bananas. Oh. And the person, completely other culture, other country, was like, got it. Like, knew exactly what that. I was talking about them. Like, hey, cuckoo, leave me alone. No, no, no. It wasn't that. It was I, he was just oh, like, God. what? You're standing I'm in nuts. the wrong place. And I was like, I. How did this become the I'm sign bonkers. of nuts? Like. Is the idea that your brain's going in circles parallel to the movement of your finger? I'm not sure. Is it? Is Why it, is it one ear? It's just like you think it would be both. Whee! But he knew what it was, and I and I was grateful. I'm, I always go like cuckoo, cuckoo, and I flap my elbows like a bird, like a, like I'm a Looney Tunes character. No, I don't. But wouldn't that be great? <laughs> cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> like well, you know, the- somebody at the store comes up to you and is a carrot, and you're like cuckoo, cuckoo, cuckoo. <laughs> <laughs> you have to see uh, futurelings. I wish you could see uh, Ken doing the cuckoo because it's it's pretty cute. Should we uh, should we make it a Patreon tier? Cuckoo, cuckoo. If you're at the cuckoo clock level, sentient cuckoo clock level, you get to see 
See, I also do the, problematic, uh, uh, the finger around the crown of the head. What does that mean? That means like your I'm, hat's on backwards. No, I got bonked or I'm drunk or oh, like it's the birds. The, the birds and stars are flying around. But oh, I do good. it with the whistle. See, that's good because you can do the whistle. Yeah, and then people are like, oh, I get it. He's, he's he conked. Is a giant conked. Daffy Duck hit him with a giant hammer. Exactly. Or I, I opened the wrong door and an old lady hit me with a frying pan. But, but when do you need to convey that? You've just done so, like you've just done something very confusing, and you have to explain to somebody you're concussed. No, I'm afraid that it's more of a. I use that to indicate a kind of mistake I might have made if I had a traumatic brain injury. <laughs> but what is that mistake? Like you forgot uh, uh, forgot your daughter's name? Well, or just hit a door jam, or some other uh, kind of like, where am I? What am I doing? Pulling on a push door. Exactly. Like I'm I'm traumatically gotta... injured. Then you got to make a big show. Little blue birds. So cities appear to be bad for our mental health and not, not just in a way, because we're looking at people who are, who were raised in the cities, it appears to not be an effect of, well, of course, you know, people who want to yell at somebody on the bus move to a city because right. that's where you can yell at somebody on the bus. People who like to be yelled at on the bus move to the city. That's why I'm here. That's, <laughs> I, I feel like I have it coming. Uh, I probably said something problematic about mental illness on my podcast last week. Yeah. And this person who's having a rough day should get to yell at me about it and also about um you know whoever's controlling his radio yeah all the other things hit, hit you with his pants that's what he's earned the right to do like i was gonna say uh, we are not making fun of mental illness or poverty yes we are well i was gonna say ranting about the jews but i don't want to make it seem like i'm you know endorsing the kind of conspiracy theories you hear on the street corner see somebody's gonna take what you just said cut it up in, I in do Pro not Tools. like the Jews. <laughs> or use it to program an AI, and then you start screaming. Well, anti-Semitic conspiracy theories are actually part of what we're talking about in this very uh, entry, because there is quite a bit of overlap. Um, but, you know, uh, talking about how cities are, are bad, I mean, a lot of it just seems to be... I mean, you can kind of pinpoint what the... Like, like if you had to guess, like, what is it about cities? You said noise. I think noise... For sure. ...is a big part. I think maybe too many people... Right, like it, we're we're made to be in a in a community, but a community where you recognize everybody and to see thousands of faces you 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 don't know. And I think about this a lot in terms of the the, the kind of persecu- the rise of persecution culture. You know, we get frowned at a lot every day online or in real life. Well, both the online didn't used to exist, but just walking down the street, you know, you pass two hundred people; mm-hmm. they're not all smiling. Um, and a lot of them are grimacing or frowning or they're thinking about something else. What they're not doing is making eye contact with you and giving you an affirmation. And do you I, try to do that? I do. I, I look at people and smile everywhere I go and not everyone it, it welcomes it. I do the Seattle thing where you slightly raise your head and give and a kind of, kind of a grimacy widen, face. Widen your mouth like, yeah. hey, you mm. exist. Widen, widening my eyes because you exist. So yeah. do you, ma'am. So do you, sir. I have ca- I've definitely noticed that when you pass a black person, or when I rather, when I pass <laughs> a black person, I give a particular version of that head nod and and wider mouth that is that is reserved for me passing a black person and the and the what I'm trying to communicate is like white hello guilt. friend <laughs> not not a white guilt but like I am not but, a threat but, to but you it is, yeah I'm not one of the bad ones what's up hello yeah but it's it's a part- but it's not for you it's for them yeah I'm, I mean it to be like but but I'm not it's not a passive look I'm not like I'm not threatening it's more of a like hearty like hello do you not just go in for some kind of really elaborate handshake <laughs> I just go right for the hug but I. <laughs> But I catch, I catch myself. It's it's a different mouth that I make, 
And so then once I became aware of it, I was like, stop making your black people mouth, make a normal mouth, the, the normal grimace that you give everyone else. And so that's been part of my, I'm just training. I'm sure it's an indistinguishable we're mouth. All, we're but, all learning. We're all, yeah. we're all on a journey. That's right. No, it's true. Like, it, it, I think it's good to be aware of how, how social cues like that shape your behavior. Like, I think a lot of the um, terrible stuff we're seeing directed at trans people is because the average American is realizing how much of their interpersonal, you know, the cues they take come from gender. Like hmm. I, I treat, you know, I think about and treat women and men in separate categories when I run across them in the world. Mm -hmm. And as these boundaries blur in ways that are confusing to my generation, I am flummoxed. Not, I mean, I'm not, but you know, so. are you not? No, I'm, I'm way above these. I'm so, <laughs> I, know. I know you're way out in front. I was thinking about this the other day in, in, in relation to bean dad. My uh, my late lamented three and a half days of global fame. Good times. And realizing, this it only just occurred to me, that if if I had had a son, if that had been Ooh, a male child that I'd said, ah. you're going to work out this tool and open this can of beans, I don't think it would have. No, think, you'd have a Fox News show by now. <laughs> well, no, I think, I think everybody, in the, everybody that read it would have been like, yeah, that's the way, you know. Right, and it was it was specifically because it was a daughter, and it, this was perceived as a father daughter dynamic, mm -hmm. and that I was asking her to use this tool. I think that that gender thing was what set it alight. That's really interesting. Mm -hmm. We need a New Yorker short story by you about uh, a bean dad like scenario, but it's a son. Oh, right, and it's okay. It's a well, it's parallel universes, and then exactly they meet. You um. When you mention just the abundance of people in a city, I think a lot of the research around this centers on exactly what you're saying. There's a, there's a degree of control that gets surrendered in urban life because so much of your experience as you perceive it is mediated through other people that you, and you don't know what they're going to do. Yeah. Somebody could yell at you on the bus. Somebody could be having a fentanyl overdose. Somebody could try to get you to sign their petition. You know, like the, the neighbors could have noisy stereos or... You know, you surrender a lot of the American idea of rugged individualism when you're an apartment dweller. Let me ask you this. You live in a dense environment. I mean, you have fences, so they can't get to you. I have a small yard, but I really do have the, I feel like I have the, the degree of control that comes with privilege in that. But you have one, two, three, four, five, six. Seven at least neighbors that a border the border you if you count like a diagonal four corners yeah scenario. And, then, and then there's probably eight if you go diagonal there yeah and so uh, I know that some of them are massive uh, omnibus fans oh, probably all of them <laughs> but they're all it, listening watch out is there one that is a particularly a problem to you is there somebody that's always out there hoeing in the middle of the night. I mean, with the hoe, there no, is, not the Ken Jennings <laughs> is, on Jeopardy version. Is that even a verb? <laughs> a few people have barky dogs, but I think we are also in that oh, category. You guys have no room to complain there. Exactly. And we really, we don't. I mean, when the dog starts yapping, we're like, all right, bring it in. Hit right. the showers. That's, right. that's enough. Back in your basement cave. <laughs> Back in your cave. They like their basement cave. Um, but no, we've been very lucky. But mm -hmm. we have had, we had a... We had a drunk guy come threaten a birthday, a, a four-year-old's birthday party in a previous house. Lame. You know, neighbors, you, as you know, you surrender a degree of control with yes. neighbors who's, you know, because your quality of lives do overlap and not everybody is on the same page. Like I've had disputes with two of my three neighbors since I moved to the suburbs. I think you can go for the third guy too. I think <laughs> and, if, 
No, no, it's the time, to start, great. time to start alienating him so you can hit for the cycle. No, he and his wife are 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 Christian people, and they don't put in, it, push, in a good way. They don't push it down your throats, and they they winter in Mexico. And I just think they're wonderful. <laughs> they're ideal. But the other they two. bring me cookies, and I hardly <laughs> ever see them. Let's hear it for the Christian gospel. But that's that. You know, at my old house, there was a there was a family of uh, people from Mexico, and two cousins moved in at one point and brought their fighting dogs. And those fighting dogs had barks that sounded like cannons, and they would bark all night. Is it really relevant where part of the world they're from, John? Well, be- yes, the fighting dogs <laughs> came with them. You're saying your Danish neighbors don't have as many fighting Danish dogs? Danish dogs don't. The, the, the skulls of these pit bulls were the size of, I, well, there's nothing. That, Bowling like, balls. No, bigger. Like, beach uh, balls. No, bigger. Uh, wait a minute, bigger than a beach ball? No, pumpkins. They were like the size of pumpkins. They were terrifying. And I was intimidated to go over and say, hey, you guys, like, I'm good friends with your grandfather. I know all the, I've been to every quinceanera on this block, but you guys moved in and you are a problem. You're bumming me out. And we finally did have it out in the street. And it was, you know, and, and one of them was like, well, I just bought my first house. And I said, congratulations, what a milestone. <laughs> now take your fighting dog. But, uh, but since I moved to the suburbs, I've had all, all my major disputes. I think moving from the suburbs into the city actually reduced disputes, which is weird because it, it makes it seem like the suburbs are more territorial. And it's maybe because the people who move there have done so because they want that That's right. insularity and that barrier and that sense that their action, other people's actions cannot affect them, but maybe the reverse right. doesn't always apply. They don't have an upstairs neighbor. They're the special protagonists of reality. That's true. I mean, you mentioned the crowdedness of cities, but also, the, you know, the alienation and loneliness of cities can be paradoxical. Right. And I, I remember Elvis always used to say that he was lonely in a crowd, you know, and yeah. there's something especially lonely about, well, there's 500 people here. Why is nobody talking to me? Like, well, if you're Elvis, this is worse than if I was home alone listening to records. Elvis can't tell if you're his friend because you like him or if you're his friend because he's Elvis. He just bought me a Cadillac. Of course he's my friend. But all of the people, I definitely, uh, I you know, I used to work at the off-ramp, which is now, which one of the five names it's had since then? What is it? It's uh, oh the uh, El Corazon. Is it still called that? I think it's El Corazon. Yeah. Still. And uh, I, I was the assistant manager. I had to go upstairs into the apartments up above the bar that uh, had formerly been a house of ill repute mm. back at the turn of the century or whatever. And now was full of people that had, that lived above a bar that had covered all their windows with tinfoil. And, you know, I, it was a fire is what it was. We had a fire in the building and I had to go up there and knock on everybody's door and say, you have to come out. And it was a glimpse into a world of people that lived in the center of a city and were completely isolated. And uh, things were not going great. Well, it, yeah, just like wow, this is really. Um, I didn't know whether I didn't know how to feel about it. I guess I was too young to know. But um, but there are people in, in every city. You look at any building, and let's be clear, we've let them down. You know, like like those people should have the support they need, and and this is true of all the. All the pe- people we've mentioned that you're thinking of writing us a letter about, like we understand what is hard about urban life and it's particularly hard when there's not the social safety net and the mental health safety net there should be. And what do, what do you do besides have community centers and invite people to coffee clubs? Well, I mean, that's a problem. Like the increasingly these, co- even these collective community spaces in cities are going away just because... 
I property's mean, too valuable. <laughs> well, that's one reason. I mean, if you're in Turkey, it's because, you know, you're you're an authoritarian dictator and you don't want the people to be able to get together because they might not like you. So let's raise that space and put up a put up something else. We did that here too. <laughs> we did that here. But yeah, here it's the hostile architecture. It's like, you know, it's a gentler version, we would say, where, well, affluent people don't like to look at these unsightly people. Let's make sure there's no park benches and, and spikes on the on the rockery here. Well, and it was the whole theory behind urban renewal. Like put a put a freeway right through Detroit's thriving black community, tear down all of the Lower East Side. And what put if we in literally, literally built big cement jail like buildings that were ugly, and then all those people could live there? It's amazing. Yeah. They have yeah. basketball courts in between them. Like how did you even? How did they even get away with it with a straight face at the time? You know, cleanliness is next to godliness. Is what it was. There was too much, un, too much what they called unsanitary plumbing. And they were going to make it all. That's just raci- that's just like 19th century racial fear. These people are are dirty. Yeah. Well, it started with the Italians, who are dirty. <laughs> oh, well, they're not. <laughs> oh, they're not. Uh, listen, I am not saying racist things about the Italians. I Wait, think, no, I was. Now it's when you say how what percent Italian you are. Zero. <laughs> so I'm, not one of, I'm not one of them. Um. City life is tough on people, and it's getting tougher, and uh, it's alienating and lonely. And part of it maybe is because cities are getting worse. I mean, we haven't mentioned the aesthetics of it, but I've read a lot of studies. Of, I mean, you're talking about green spaces going away because real estate values go up. But, you know, you can watch – in Seattle, we've watched places we thought of as cute get replaced by places we thought of as ugly. Yeah. And obviously, that's a subjective value judgment. But if a whole generation thinks that cute places are being replaced by ugly people, ugly people, ugly places, ugly people in that, places, that's got to take a toll, right? Like these houses used to be nice, and now they're ugly modernist boxes. Well, you know, we 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 think I, in particular, when I moved to Seattle, um, it wasn't cute. It was it was pretty shabby. Yeah, but the shabbiness allowed us to live here for cheap because nobody wanted to live here, and now it's nostalgia tinted. But those we look the, back those and were the shabby like, chic towns. Oh, the shabby was so cute compared to like the clean and particularly the clean and crowded. Well, the, you know, one of the things that made Seattle fun to live in, tolerable as a city, was that you could get space for cheap. There were people doing cool things. It wasn't public space like a park, but there were little theaters, little pop-up kind of enterprises that made it feel like you weren't oppressively crowded by people that you didn't want around. And we still had tree cover. You know, that's decreased yeah. a lot, but I feel like that helped. Yeah. Big swaying Douglas firs in the middle of a city. Yeah. That'll settle you down. Yeah, they're all gone now, but not out here in the suburbs. Isn't it one of the first things you noticed when you came out here? It is. That there were 100-foot tall trees, and you were like, whoa. I mean, I kind of, like, my childhood of Edmonds was like watching those kind of rock at night, and then we moved where everybody had cut them down for their views, and we were like, oh, yeah, there's no trees here because of rich people like me. One of the amazing things about the, the, the trees in the Northwest is that there can be a full-on windstorm 100 feet up in the sky and it's calm where you are, but you look up and the tops of the trees are just like, and you know, and it's a a very soothing sound Yeah, until one of the huge branches comes down. Comes through your roof. Yeah. Yeah, Twin Peaks never would have happened without that aesthetic. I mean, today, like it has to happen on a gorilla level. Like people kind of have to create, people say, you know what, we're turning this uh, vacant lot into a community garden illegally, or, uh, you know, we're going to put... I was reading about a guy that like was getting around anti-playground loopholes because again, it's like the virulent, it's the poor that have the kids. So boo, um, 
you know, so he, he would, but he found out you could put a shipping container in because <laughs> there was some loophole in the law. Oh. Puts in a shipping container and puts playground equipment on top of it. Law couldn't touch him. Oh, how smart. Um, we but, should do an episode on squatter culture because. I guess you know, we we did what? The slab or whatever it's called. But. Yeah, but in the 80s, you know, like, yeah, like Christiana in, uh, in Copenhagen. Is it still there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, the last time I was there, which was admittedly a while ago, but yeah. I think it is. You were walking across Europe and got lost and got, got into a dead end in in Denmark. I was like, what? How did I get here? But this kind of sense that our city, and you know, when you're talking about shabby Seattle, it still did have these tall trees, beautiful rhododendron and azalea bushes every spring, little little craftsman bungalows everywhere that people had built from Sears kits in the 30s for their Boeing working class jobs. Mm-hmm. I mean, fishermen smoking meerschaum pipes. It was and, cute in a way. Yeah, for you sure. You know, even though rents were cheap. You could live on a houseboat pre-Sleepless uh, in Seattle. It was still like kind of a grungy way to live. It cost nothing, you know, yeah. like, and then that movie comes out and suddenly a $10,000 house is a $2 million house. Thanks, Tom Hanks. I don't know if it was that fast, but yes, <laughs> right. absolutely. But like, it, it was essentially, there was some overnight thing where it was like, no one wants this. And then suddenly. Everyone wants Everyone this. wants that. So this idea that our cities are... Bad and ugly and modernism has made them worse when they used to be cute is kind of at the center of a very unusual conspiracy theory. Oh, is this a conspiracy theory episode? It is. Why didn't you tell me at the start? I would have put on my tinfoil hat. You're like, I was bored. I was bored for 30 minutes of this. (laughs) Uh, I got so bored I had to make fun of the Italians for no reason. What did they ever do? Nothing. They were Catholic. Made delicious sauces. (laughs) Uh, This show was requested by a listener named Angus, and I had never heard of... uh, of Tartaria, the Tartarian Empire. And the main, in my defense, the main reason I'd never heard of it is that it doesn't exist and never did. Okay. But don't, try, tell that, try telling that to Reddit. Is, is it related to the Tartars? Kind of. The Tartars? Let me introduce you to Anatoly Fomenko. Okay. Uh, Let me guess where he's from. He's a Soviet-era <laughs> mathematician. I, I'm, I was about to say he was, but he's still alive, I think. Born in 45, so he's pushing 80. Still alive, still, still in Russia somewhere. But he was a Soviet mathematician, like a leading, uh, what do you call a geometer, a geometrician? Yeah, geometrist. Was he a geometer? That seems like that seems like he's telling my future from bird entrails. Geometrician, geometricalist, and topologist. Mm-hmm. So mostly a topology expert. Who, uh, in addition to actually being a scientist, was a huge nut job. Okay, he, I, I, you know what? Unlike we, many scientists, uh, we tend to think they're mutually exclusive, but they are not. He came up with a, what turned out to be a fairly influential conspiracy theory he called the new chronology. Oh. And this is the idea. This is one of these everything you know is wrong conspiracy theories that is um, retroactively wrong that has kind of shaped our new kind of Mandela effect world where if I have a different idea than the history books, I'm probably right or from a parallel universe and all the books are wrong. Right. It's a great, it's a great form of narcissism. Yeah, well, no, no one will ever call you on your BS. If, you know the US, if all the history books are wrong. U.S. Constitution is just a garbage document that we need to exactly burn in the streets. Well, it, what's important is which sentences start with a vowel, because oh. then I can never, and then I never have to register my car exactly. or whatever, right? If, yeah. if I if yeah. I remember correctly, it's not nautical law. So uh, the idea of new chronology is that all the dates we think we know are wrong. Uh, new chronology wasn't that a Blur record? <laughs> it does sound like Britpop. Yeah, it does. Uh, the, and in, in particular, Fomenko's conviction was that basically everything we think happened in antiquity happened in the middle ages. Like there's a real, we think these things happened over millennia and really they all happened about a eh, thousand years ago, give or take. 
Um, Interesting. And this lets him build a more kind of Russo-centric view of the world because it's not the Kievan Rus was yeah, the it's beginning not, it's of not time. Greece and Rome and uh, China and India that are discovering stuff. It was all happening right in Central Asia. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, like he's writes at length about how Jesus was actually a 12th century religious prophet who was crucified in, in Istanbul, or I guess then Constantinople. Was he from Ethiopia? Is Are we talking about black Jesus? No, I mean if he's Syrian Jesus, Turkish Jesus at least. Okay, Turkish Jesus. So you know, darker. That's one of the most darker delicious than desserts drive. you can you can get. <laughs> every you know, every British person at Christmas loves to tuck into a Turkish Jesus. <laughs> they do their little firecrackers and they put napkins uh, in their collars, mm. and everybody eats Turkish Jesus. Um, the Crusades happened at the same time as the Trojan War in the New Chronology. Okay, so it's just a huge overlap of yeah. like ancient things and kind of early modern things boop, happening or, you know, or medieval things happening at once. And what past texts is he referencing that, that he could put these together? Oh, no, he's writing the texts. Got it's, it. it's much easier. It's much easier when you're saying, hey, everybody else is wrong. Let me tell you what really went down. But he's assuming that people will only read his books and not <laughs> read any of the other books. Well, he's assuming the other books are right in the general it uh, happened, just but, but, not. But everybody's got the dates wrong, and once so many things make sense, John. Once you see that the dates are are compressed, and did people, uh, did people? They must have intentionally gotten the dates wrong. What was the motivation yeah, between I, I behind think, people? I think there's a suggestion that it's to put down the the glorious Russian people, um, uh, right, because right. you know it really makes the Greeks and Romans look better, or or whoever. If we believe these great civilizations predated. The uh, the central like in his in his view, Genghis Khan and the Mongols conquered the world because they were they were Russians. They were right. A lot of people don't realize that he was actually a good Russian guy. I see. Okay, nice Russian guy with a samovar, probably got that. And uh, in fact, well into the 18th century, you know, when the first European colonists hit the American shores from the east, they were running up into a vast Siberian empire that had come down into North America well into the late. Uh, 18th century. You know, there were Russians here in the Northwest, but one would not characterize them as a vast empire. No, I think, I think, uh, Fomenko is picturing like Ohio being full of, oh. uh, being full of good Siberian Volga boatmen. I see. Spearing sturgeon. I don't know. What do you think these guys are up to? Spearing sturgeon. Not a lot of sturgeon in the, uh, in Ohio. No. Crappy. <laughs> well, especially Ohio before they uh, before all the invasive species were introduced. <laughs> Might maybe, have just been delicious trout. Maybe they introduced sturgeon. Maybe it's all the it's all the uh the Tartarians fault. So he calls this empire Tartaria that here in North America. Well, yes, but that was that was a colony. I you see. know, they're centered in central Eurasia, you know, they're a they're a crypto-Russian people. Right. And they're the ancestors of the modern Russian state. And they invented and did everything by spreading all over the globe, building what we now mistakenly think of as Greek and Roman ruins in the Mediterranean, building you know what we mistakenly think of as Mughal uh, temples in India. This was all Russia expanding outward. Does he claim Mayan temples too? I mean, you'd, you'd think he'd be a, a dummy not to. Yeah. If you're imagining Siberians moving down through North America, of course they're going to create the Mayan and Aztec and Incan empires, right? Right. Well, otherwise, all of civilization is Russian except for these geniuses <laughs> in Central and South America. <laughs> yeah, it seems like that would be uh, that would be hard for a real ethno-nationalist to take. Yeah. The fact that we didn't have the llamas. Yeah. So, uh, you know, I'm not going to say 
He's wrong. <laughs> he's wrong. <laughs> like, clearly, he's correct about all this. No, it's uh, this is kind of the answer. But I, this, there's not a straight line between what I'm about to tell you about this Russian crackpot and our modern internet cranks. But his creation of uh, of Tartaria had an unusual side bloom in eh, roughly you know six or seven years ago, around 2016 or 2017. We see the first rumblings of an online internet conspiracy mostly in a couple Tartaria-specific subreddits. Maybe they said Tartaria over there? I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, in which the Tartarian Empire uh, is, you know, this idea of a, of a Eurasian superstate that takes over the world is specifically applied to architecture hmm. and, uh, and urbanism. And I only understand this courtesy of a, of a really great, Bloomberg article by Zach Mortis that I'm relying on heavily here because I am not going to wade. Unlike you, I'm not going to wade into these internet cesspools and find out what they really are yelling about today. <laughs> Having done it, don't bother. I want normal people to like do it for me and then tell me why they're crazy because I can feel very smug then and I didn't have to get my hands dirty. Uh-huh. Uh, and as Mortis explains it, like this seems to be a result, this new bloom of Tartarianism seems to be a result of people who are not architects and have no architecture or architectural or scholarly background, seeing a lot of old-timey pictures uh, that seem incongruous to them. For example, they'll see a lot of uh, photographs of Gilded Age America, where a city has muddy streets and dirty rundown clapboard buildings, and then an amazing neoclassical state capital or some other kind of municipal building in the middle of all this and they think what's going on there like what are the odds what are um, the odds or they see a picture of um i mean anything like a, a great a great beautiful old fancy building gets torn down or uh, a beautiful elaborate building in a european capital is just being used as some kind of a post office or something and they think this is not plausible um basically anything they see a variety of architectural schools uh, some kind of classical revival, like uh, French Second Empire stuff, the larger Beaux-Arts movement. You know, any beautiful building with a lot of ornamentation, elaborate, uh, anything with domes or towers, anything remotely fancy, which to them is looks better than our modern, sometimes brutalist buildings. Including the Alaska Club here in Seattle. Exactly. Uh-huh. Like every city still has these. And they think, clearly, civilization used to be this. And something went wrong. There was once a global superstate building these, whether it's the Taj Mahal or the Brussels Town Hall or the New York Public Library. And then a century of a, a couple centuries of attacks happened. You know, Napoleon invaded Russia and then the destruction of World War I, the bombings of World War II, you know. Bonaparte. Some, exactly. It's all Napoleon's fault. Mm-hmm. A century of something. Sometimes they say it's a natural disaster, like a giant mud flood swept the earth and wiped out this past civilization and its beautiful buildings. You said mud flood. <laughs> Is that? Uh, I just like it. It right because it rhymes. Yeah, mud flood. Talk about a great oh. punk band name. It sounds a little too much like something like a like something a fifth grader would call diarrhea. Oh, the problem is mud blood is uh, a racial epithet, but not a real one. Like only a Harry Potter one. Oh, right, right. If a fantasy book series is written by a deeply problematic woman yeah. and she uses racial slurs to make a point, are they okay? 
My enemy's enemy is my friend. Don't if, know. If a woke tree falls in the woods. I, w- I won't wade, wade into any of that. <laughs> I won't wade into that mud flood. But they see, and they see this all over the world. You know, they see domes in, onion domes in Russia and the Taj Mahal and, you know, big neoclassical domes. And they think. There's one on 13th Avenue in, in, uh, in Seattle. See, because Tartaria was here. Tartaria was everywhere. It's it's a sign that there was this overarching global empire. But, you know, there's the blueprints for a lot of these buildings that are in local <laughs> municipal archives, if you want to look. That is the cover-up. I mean, these the thing about these modern conspiracy theories is they're, you know, QAnon is basically a cafeteria theory. It just spews weird stuff at you, and you don't have to form any kind of overarching consistent narrative. I see. Like back back in the day, I mean, all these old, you know, we did a show on the Protocols of the Elders of Zion. All these old anti-Semitic canards were were toxic and and uh, and terrible. But at least they were like stories you can read a pamphlet and understand. Okay, I get it. Seven wealthy families control the world. I can see why. Yeah. Whereas today it's just like, and JFK Jr. is alive, and there's a pizza parlor that's harvesting adrenaline. Yeah. From children, I've heard that enough. I've started to believe it. Well, I mean, clearly, pizza parlors harvesting adrenaline from children now sounds plausible. See, you're doing the thing where um, (laughs) these online conspiracy. This is my hot take. These online conspiracy theories are catching on just because they're so delightful. Yeah, it's the flat Earth stuff. You can't help but love them. (laughs) Like I went down a rabbit hole yesterday about how John Benet Ramsey actually never existed. Oh no! And it's you know, and I don't believe a word of this, but it's just so much fun that you spend an hour and suddenly. You're, you know, suddenly there's a million people that are kind of aware of and maybe sympathetic to this, and they cr- that creates a fringe of nuts who, uh, uh, you know, suddenly it's off and running. I started to, you know, I went down a my, uh, no, my own mental rabbit hole, just picturing people harvesting adrenaline from children in the basement of a pizza bar. I just tried to picture the scene and really spend some time with it. And then and I you, was, you did a, you did that oil painting that's hung behind us. <laughs> that's right. And then I was like. Oh, wait a minute. This presumes a world without cocaine. We already have <laughs> d- d- adrenaline from children. It's called cocaine. Like, what What can child adre- adrenaline do that cocaine can't? I believe in some versions it's like an elixir of youth. Like, oh. we, we would never die if we were the child molesting Satanists in the pizza parlor basement. But all of the bad Democrats, <laughs> they keep getting older. None of them look amazing. None of them retire. No, well, they don't retire, but they, you know, they keep working until they are until they're shriveled prunes. You're saying um, Di- one Diane Feinstein would know where she was right now if she were actually harvesting. Joe Biden would have a little bit more hair, I think, if he more, was a little more spring to his step. Yeah, Ginsburg would still be alive, and uh, and Roe would still be alive. There's a parallel universe if Adrenochrome actually works. But here's the problem: we're thinking too much about this. That is the thing. Like these people do not appear to prize internal consistency. You know, we never landed on the moon. Beautiful. Simple. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. These people are just like, you know, if an objection comes up, they don't care because there's a new thread with a new photo. Yeah. Hey, check out this. Like, this is the Singer building in lower Manhattan. Look how beautiful. It was the tallest building in the world. And then they tore it down and built some ugly Mies van der Rohe thing. Oh, because they're trying to erase Yeah. The, the great Tartars The and... Great Reset has was some kind of either a natural mud flood or a... A series of wars, you know, a series of uh, enemies of Tartaria is trying to erase it and in its place put the put the ugly ass cities we have today, the efficient, um, unpleasant cities of today. And of course, seen through this lens of aesthetic moralism, you miss the old mullions and fluting and and uh, 
Rococo sculpture of, of these old buildings, right? Yeah. So I understand the on, on aesthetic level, but the, the, the factual craziness does not appear to bother them. You know, these people will literally say there was a, I mean, it's a kind of utopianism, right? Things were better. Like our society clearly does not have this kind of beauty and grace. So think about, imagine the kind of people that would have built the pyramids in the U.S. Capitol in the same year. You know, they, they, yeah. those people must have had, they were awesome. They prized love and beauty. And also they might've been giants. Okay. Cause these people see vaulted lobbies and big archways and they think, ah, clearly the inhabitants of Tartaria were 12 feet tall. Look at the scale they're building on. I mean, we can definitely see in contemporary Russians, a lot of love and industry and, and, you know, love of beauty. Uh, yeah. If yeah. you if you get some vodka in it. <laughs> <laughs> you piss off the Italians. Uh-huh. I'll piss off the Russians. Okay. But it's okay because we're, you know, we're at global war with Russia, and but not hey, really. No, we're not. That's <laughs> a localized, uh, you know, conflict between two sovereign nations. These, uh, what appears to be specifically, like most of the ink on these Tartaria websites revolves around things about our current architectural state of play that they find implausible. So they see these photos of of, uh, of one big, beautiful building surrounded by nothing, and they think, you know, there must have been more of these, and then this is all that's left. Second, have you ever been to Tulsa, Oklahoma? <laughs> <laughs> hey, I mean, that's a case where that's a case where a lot of prosperity did get blown up yeah. by. Uh, well, and they really screwed up Nashville too. There are a couple of cool buildings left. People, somebody got mad at us when we when you said that about Nashville, but then at the end he was like, "If it weren't true, I would." <laughs> I would be furious. <laughs> he looked up at the Batman building and was like, <laughs> But here's what's beautiful about Tartarians. They specifically do not believe that we would have built all these amazing World's Fair concourses if they were just meant to be temporary. Like, okay. they look at pictures of the Chicago, you know, the Columbian Ex- Exposition, or, you know how all these old-timey world, everything in Omnibus goes back to World's Fair, right? You know they have these amazing concourses with these incredibly elaborate white columned buildings, right? Yeah. Well, here, here at the Alaska Yukon Exposition. The, that is now the University of Washington yeah. campus. But a lot of those buildings were only meant to be temporary. But that, the, that's the, what they don't believe. But the problem is they were made out of like completely clear grained fur because there were old growth trees. They're built better than 90% of the current housing stock. Well, I mean, that's why the Northwest is a little unusual. In many of these places, those buildings were just built out of like plaster and Paris and then some kind of uh, some kind hair. of slurry made of, yeah, hemp and, yeah, uh, yeah exactly, burlap and horsehair. Because, yeah. you know, they just had to look good till next April. Right. And hope then, it doesn't rain. And then we're going to tear it exactly and hope <laughs> it doesn't rain. And in many cases, it rained and the buildings were... Dilapidated, dilapidated. Like I was last time I was in San Francisco, I actually went to the. Um, I think it's called the Palace of Fine Arts. It is, you know, that big arch monument down no, by I've the done a show down by there. the Presidio. Yeah. Oh yeah, that's a venue, yeah. right? Oh yeah, I've done more than one show there. It's the only thing that's left from the big Panama Pacific exposition of whenever that was. It's gorgeous and completely anachronistic in that neighborhood. Like it's not like anything, and it's it's on a swamp. It's weird. But great. Yeah, and it, I guess it was, what I didn't realize is it's rebuilt in the 60s. Like, if you see that oh. thing in the movie Vertigo, you're not looking at the one that's there today. Because oh. in the 50s, it was still kind of the dying plaster of Paris one. The rest had all been torn down or washed away by by San Francisco Mizzle. And this thing was still standing. But they finally just took it down to its uh, you know, rebar. rebar and built it out of actual concrete. No and that, kidding. And that's why it's still there. Well, that's a rare instance of the 1960s 
doing something that wasn't awful. 1960 San Francisco actually coming through. <laughs> yeah, weird. <laughs> well, if you want modern, awful San Francisco, during COVID, I think they tried to put um, like a little homeless mini uh, a mini city there. Yeah. and But unfortunately, it's right next to the super rich Marina District people, oh, yeah. and that didn't, did, didn't not happen. did not happen. So you're actually, you're saying that those uh, World's Fair buildings that look amazing were actually uh, trash buildings that wouldn't have stood the test of time? Not to the Tartarians. The Tartarians insist that these were the actual concourses of ancient cities. I see. Because they see postcards and they look amazing. Yeah, they do. And and what happened was, uh, in order to to erase the memory of these beautiful metropolises, cities moved in and said, we'll turn this into a fairground, we'll put up a Ferris wheel, we'll have funnel cake, and then we're going to tear it down next year, and people will mistakenly think that these were temporary fairgrounds. But the Tartarians, not falling for it. I see. They know that those were where the those were built at the same time as the pyramids by our Eurasian overlords, and they were torn down in Tartarian lore specifically to erase uh, Russian influence, not for redevelopment or something. Else. Well, online the you know the Russian the Russian element is toned down online. I don't know if oh. there's I don't know if there's a bot farm in in uh, in Irkutsk pushing architectural propaganda at the west it's the only thing that they're not i mean there is there definitely is a kind of uh i mean there's some crossover with as i said with anti-semitic conspiracy theorizing um you know because these uh obviously these people who built this are pictured by some of these aesthetic moralists as blonde blue-eyed aryans who were then taken over by you know whatever other degenerate tribes moved in like Um, italians (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> probably. Uh, and the enemies who tore it down are always very vague. I mean, sometimes oh. you will see people online saying, and it was the Jews. But right. more often, they're just kind of shadowy forces of wealth and tyranny who have seen something beautiful and want to kill it. Oh, yeah. Okay. Because, you know, this beauty used to belong to all of us. And then the twin gods of efficiency. So it's almost like this. there's like some anti-capitalist level to this i mean i never really thought about this weird overlap where you know anti-capitalism was both yeah, socialist and nationalist yeah and yeah it could be so but it could also be fascist it can be right. like you know who's got the money is these 10 bankers go get them right, right you know right. like the, the that that discontent of the working class can be harnessed for for a, vari- a variety of different authoritarian causes pick your own <laughs> um and then the main thing that the tartarians don't believe is just how much uglier cities got between say 1920 and 1960 because there was during that time a massive redrawing of of major cities where a lot of beautiful old stuff didn't have enough office space and a bunch of Bauhaus guys were like nine this is what city should look like yeah big black glass squares they built big glass boxes and if you didn't you know if you lived at that time you remember the conversations about it but if you're a young person on the internet and you just see the before and after, you're like, well, there's no way anybody would have been dumb enough to do that. They don't realize that this wasn't a conspiracy happening in, in shadowy rooms with aliens. It was right on the cover of the New York Post. Yeah, architects were bragging about it. We're going to tear down this sh- shitty old Beaux-Arts building and we're going to build a crazy, uh, a crazy glass box. Well, it's why there's a New York Landmarks Preservation Committee. It's why Seattle formed the, uh, you know, in response to the, the dream to tear down Pike Place Market. Uh, formed pr- historic preservation. Yeah, this is all, you know, we think of that as something that's always been here. No, it's totally a 
a pushback to seven movement. A, it's a pushback against the the new Bauhaus, the face of modernism in in uh, Western cities. I talked to to my mom quite a bit about this in the nineties because at the time I was, you know, saying, "Why would you have ever built?" these garbage structures. And she said, well, you don't, you blamed her personally. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and she said, you never grew up feather dusting the trim of a Victorian living room. Ah. And I said, no, it's true. And she said, it w- my whole childhood, you went around the house cleaning it. And then when you got done, you started back at the start and went to cleaning it. And when we saw these houses with almost no trim, just flat floors, walls, ceilings, windows, we thought it was such a, you know, like a revolution in terms of just labor because we no longer had to have lace doilies on everything. It was, you know, modernism was, it felt like the future to them uh, because Victorian houses all looked shabby and gross and there were so many of them they never dreamed we'd ever run out. And it wasn't just the cheap labor to clean these places. It's also the cheap labor to build them. Right. In a time of greater inequality, it's easy to find thousands of people. You know, if you want to build a big building, why not get the best artisans? They'll work for nothing. Right. And, and you know, even more importantly, like more efficient options had not been invented yet. Also, we did- a lot of those artisans were Italian. <laughs> oh, you're coming around on them. You know what I mean? You're they built around. all the churches and nice buildings in the United States. Uh, the, uh, but there just weren't cheaper alternatives yet. You know, today we have factory made steel and we have concrete and all these things are, are cheap and easy. Then back then you kind of had to make things out of, out of massive sandstone and marble because that was the only option. It's labor that's expensive now, Ken. And labor. I'm happy to hear it. But, you know, we've, we've talked, I think we've joked before about being in a European city and going to the post office Mm -hmm. and it's this massive palace of communication where you know with huge vaulted ceilings and amazing architecture and because it's a european capital it's still you know shuffling old people trying to fill out a form that lets them do the other form that lets them get their benefit or their postal order or make a long distance phone call. <laughs> exactly whatever it is <laughs> incredibly efficient uh, societies but you know if you're a tartarian you're like really you're going to tell me that this is what the post office looks like in lisbon yeah, I don't buy it. Like, even, you know, they'll look at the St. Louis post office and not understand that, you know, this was a big regional thing. You know, this is a super important government building. And they'll be like, yeah, this is not what my neighborhood post office looks like. I want to live in that world. Yeah, right. Who took that from me? Indeed. Uh, and they're a little bit vague, but, you know, it's it's shadowy forces. This is the one, this is one of the conspiracies that does not include black people. Well, I mean, there is a colonialist vibe where they'll, you know, these people will show pictures from all over the world and say, this is crazy. Look, look at this, uh, look at this uh, office building in Shanghai. Look at this one in Manila. Look at this one in Sao Paulo. All these cities have these star-shaped forts. Um, these people have basically discovered colonialism. Yeah. And then they've been like, obviously, aliens. Or it happened in 1000 AD. Yeah, some, some super state built all this stuff. Because I guess that's easier than saying, no, just a small group of wealthy people. Right. Conquered the conquered the global south in the 15, 16, 1700s. Um, but it is kind of funny to see them just notice these same things and draw totally different conclusions. I mean, that's do you follow any of this kind of trad 
art and architecture discourse online. It's all Nazis. Yeah, every trad now is just uh, it, it, it. It degrades pretty fast into people being mad. Modernity is um, is synonymous with diversity. That's true. And so, if diversity is the problem, modernity is the problem, and and ultimately, the fascist argument that arts are the problem, right? Because arts yeah. are intrinsically degenerate, although somehow monolithic architecture <laughs> right that is there's one kind of art that's not degenerate luckily yeah. right and we found it and it's, now it, we can now we can leave it well enough alone it's not figurative it's not um it's not like uh well yeah there's nothing degenerate about a column it's just when you put when you put glass around it i guess i've noticed a lot of these young guys really um are okay if it's figurative as long as it's sexy ladies sure have you seen the Confer- uh, can confirm? Have you seen that Twitter meme where it's like some some guy called like Dark Triad Red Pill Boy or whatever is like going off about this um this sculpture of a woman, some kind of ultra femme young woman, you know, boy, the you know the West has lost its way. Art used to look like this. No other culture would be capable of making a sculpture this beautiful. And basically all he's saying is like her, her nipples are, are are poking out of her diaphanous sculpted <laughs> dress. Um, you know, I'm kicked off of Twitter. So uh, you, I can't see you any of this You don't get now. to see any of this. Well, this no. happened years ago. You could have enjoyed it in a past life. Yeah, maybe. But at the end, you know, and then a bunch of other weird red-pilled guys are like, exactly, man, you know. And finally, nipples. Finally, somebody replies, this sculpture's by a Chinese woman, you dork-ass losers. <laughs> and there's a picture of the Chinese woman sculpting sculpting the pretty blonde. Right. Uh, that's, that's a deep fake. That's my favorite thing on the internet. Um, but yeah, this, this basically the the garing idea that that you got to reach for your gun when art challenges you as he collected all the, uh, the French impressionists. Exactly. Stolen French impressionists. Now museums have to have the little plaques being like, sorry, sorry to whoever, uh, somebody with a Jewish name who owned this before 1940. Sorry. sorry to, sorry to their descendants. I mean, they could give him back, but instead they put up a little plaque. That's how you know their heart's in the right place. Give it back. Don't, don't, don't. So is it harmless? Tartarianism to the Tartarian empire. Is it harmless? I mean, these people just miss mullions. You know, we all miss mullions, nice, nice, elaborate, uh, flutings and mansard roofs. The thing about youth is that, um, I feel like you normalize this stuff and youth are susceptible to it because they're youth and don't know anything. They don't know. They didn't live through. And then if they do discover more truth, truth, um, this is all, it's all there underneath. It's percolating. You know, the truths they do discover. And they've got, they've got to fit into the scaffolding they already built of how John Benet Ramsey never existed. Or and You know, there was a, there was a book that went around alternative culture in the early nineties called Behold a Pale Horse. And it was a guy, I should do an entry on him. It was a guy that just tried to co- collect all the conspiracy theories into one tome where they all, it was Internally like a, consistent. Yeah, it was like a, a comparative religion, except, you know, the lizard people living under the sea and JFK Jr. who wasn't even dead yet. Um, you know, it's or all- was he? It all relates, right? And And this book went around, you know, amidst all the kind of punk rock- graffiti artists or whatever. And it, it actually kind of, I think influenced a lot of who are now generation X middle-aged people 
to go, hmm, maybe the moon landing was. Maybe there's something to some of these. And the thing is, you don't have to think beyond that because part of our generation was, all you have to do is say, hmm, and it makes you sound smart, and then you can bounce, right? You can reject any, but not reject it, just, I'm just asking questions. Like that whole it, vibe. It's Gen X slacker approach applied to uh, applied to knowledge. Yeah. And I think you see a lot more, uh, you know, wise, uh, rise in this kind of white supremacy nationalist stuff that's not really attached. It doesn't have to be attached to anything. It can just connect itself to, like, no Tartarian that goes to college is going to retain that, hopefully. That's what college is for. But they might keep a little bit of the... Um, the Fred Perry shirt that they got at the con uh, at the conference. Not not a hundred percent sure. All, all conspiracy theorizing, I guess, is a little bit narcissistic. No one, everyone misunderstands the world, but me. Right, right. But these these ones seem just in insanely so. You know, like can't you just go back to thinking the CIA killed Kennedy and you know, and that that makes you the that makes you the smart guy. Like, why do you have to think that? Um, Every historical fact is wrong, and you know you're you're from the universe that that knows the true facts. I mean, I think it might be related to the end of the canon, right? There was not a kid that went through public school that didn't learn who Benjamin Franklin was, but now you've got a million TikToks that are like, "Who's this Ben Franklin guy, and why should I care about him?" So there's a there's a loss of just sort of centralized yeah here's scholarly a, authority here's a common understanding of the world that we all have even if you don't even if you don't make it through the eighth grade we will have already taught you about the revolutionary war mm-hmm. and that being gone into uh into the relativist world now where it's like well your thought your ideas and my ideas agree to disagree it's just it's a tumbling effect to people that are like to and it and it results in people saying, well, the you know, not just that uh the Tartars built the St. Louis Public Library, but that the ancient Egyptians were all Nubians and the you know Yeah, it can be in service of any kind of ideological argument. Yeah, and then you uh, but and and you can read the historic record and because we no longer care that some guy with a British accent is like, actually, I found this stone and it means blah, 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 blah. Um, he seems just as as ridiculous and comical. I guess these guys are right aesthetically. Like, it would be nice to live in a world where every city used to be a, a crazy World's Fair campus. Where, right? where, where construction stopped in 1930 and, and uh, we left. Well, you know, in Europe... A lot of those cities are modernist because they were blown to smithereens and they, they had to build back. And the only, that's part of the conspiracy. Though. Yeah. The only architecture they had was modernism. You know, the medical den- dental building downtown, the one on the Hill, no I, I, uh, downtown, the one behind Nordstrom. Oh yes, I do. There, uh, there was a building that, that was originally designed to have two halves, the medical and the dental. And, uh, they built the first half in this, ornate neo-gothic style it's a it's a high rise it's yeah. it's 20 stories tall uh, neo-gothic style with towers and you know very elaborate work and then the stock market crash happened and they couldn't complete the other side and then all through the depression they didn't have the money then the war happened 
And by the time they got around to building the medical side, it was 1950, and they built it in a completely spare, modernist architecture. But they're two sides of the same building. Like, they have one lobby and it's the craziest. It, it's the craziest thing you ever saw. It would it would blow a Tartarian's mind. I want to see if what you the would walk by. I want I want you to go online and, and show post them that it building and say, "What do you do now, Tartarians?" Game set and match. And that concludes the Tartarian Empire. Entry one two seven nine dot na zero two zero six. Certificate number two zero three five four. In the omnibus. Futurelings, I want to be clear that all of the... Uh, all the anti-Italian slurs. Yeah, all the all the slurs and all of the... It's uh, a hilarious bit that John does. The uh, All the Gen X uh, comedy on that last episode didn't happen. I didn't do any of it. And uh, you can't prove that I did. And if you, if you were to excerpt it and put it into a supercut of me doing it, I would say it was a deep fake. And even me admitting this now is also a deep fake if you listen to it with the right ears. So too bad for you, bad. Uh, in the unlikely event that you don't buy that and go on social media, you can go to Facebook uh, Futurelings page where they occasionally get pretty mad at us. But then those those posts go to the bottom of the feed and the new posts are all, we love you. Who's, who's got the time to go all the way back? Uh, you can find us at Omnibus Project, at Ken Jennings, at John Roderick, although not on Twitter. Or you can find my, my, uh, my thing and it says, account suspended. Should people go there just to mourn? Just to look, Like a, yeah. like a wall with just, pictures of Princess Diana just on Just to it? put flag, little flags and flowers. Uh, you can email us at theomnibusproject at gmail.com and Ken will read it and reply in a snarky way if you are a dummy. You can mail us things to P.O. Box 55744, Shoreline, Washington, 98155. Uh, Ken, looks like you got a, a little peachy folder of mail over there. Got some postcards. Let me see. Montana. There's a There's a Disney postcard. There's a puzzling set of... There's a puzzling set of correspondence from... Well, let me do these first. Ramon, our friend in Chile, asks us what we know about Bartolome de las, de las Casas. Uh, is he a revolutionary? No. The, a, the postcard is of a revolutionary. Cuban revolutionary path. Marcos. Ramon says there's no need to ask if he's compatible with Marxism. He clearly is. Oh, he was a rich kid. Uh, this is oh, this is not a Chilean revolutionary. This is like a Oaxacan guy. This yeah, is a, a yeah. Zapatista. This is, this is a subcommandant Marcos. Uh, thank you for using his full rank. Yes, for showing the respect to subcomandante Marcos. Bartolomé de las Casas is like an age of exploration guy. I think he's the one who's like pretty good and is like, hey, we're actually killing all these natives. Maybe we shouldn't. Columbus, he's not da Columbus is being a dweeb. Um, that's my memory of De Las Casas. Maybe he would be a good omnibus. All right. We also got... We'll do him after Behold the Pale Horse. We also got this Butte, Montana postcard where Ben, I think, says, as I pulled into Butte, I could not remember if that mine was the toxic one or the one with an Alaskan name. So he listened to the Berkeley Pit episode again. I actually don't remember the two mines he's talking about, but I'll take his word for it. It's the, it's the toxic. 
<laughs> there we go. Re- regrettably, I did not stop in Anaconda to see the large smokestack. You don't have to stop. It's right there. You can see it from the road. It appears that if I read his handwriting right, he was on a road trip between Coldfoot, Alaska to Mammies, Colorado? Mammies. M-A-N-E-E-S? That doesn't seem like a real place. Mammies. So they listened to a lot of Omnibus on their road trip. That's nice. Uh, uh, yeah. You know, uh, Coldfoot, there's not a lot going on in Coldfoot. It's, um, unlike most Alaska, it's cities. not, uh, it's not like what you would call a bustling metropolis. And I'm wondering what it seems fake Coldfoot, but there's also, there's some mining around there, but I'm just wondering like, what the hay, what were they doing? Are they from Coldfoot or is that just where they chose to, to start their, yeah, how did they, how did they get there? Are, are, are they doing the amazing race? This, this Montana curious. postcard has a sign saying it's historic uptown Butte. It's a postcard of a street sign, and it implies that Butte has both an uptown and a downtown. I don't know if that's true. It is, although most of the uptown uh, is in the Berkeley pit now. We have a puzzling set of correspondences from Sharon. I think this is all the same Sharon. I don't really know what order these were sent in, so it's hard to say. You know, sure, they're just postcards. Check the mail over once a month. One is a compliment on my puns. Listener, he, she says listeners enjoy them, and only John's reactions have changed. Now everyone can enjoy. So take that, Sharon or John. What does that mean? You mean I'm not I'm not uh, poo pooing them anymore? I think maybe you're poo pooing them too much. I, uh-huh. I, I unclear. But then Sharon also sent us a North Dakota postcard. Ken for one thousand oh, dollars. Look at that. What it, is the Peace Garden State? No, that's uh, the Corn Palace. Am I wrong? It is. You are wrong. It is the University of Grand Forks. Uh-huh. No, sorry, the University of North Dakota at Grand Forks. This must be where they play their basketball games. The Ralph Engelstadt Arena, maybe? It looks like a small corn pill. I don't know if I could name the uh, UND mascot. Corn. Is it the Sioux? Are they allowed to do that? There are a lot of Sioux in North Dakota. Yeah, but you don't want to imply that everybody on the basketball team is. Unless it's a reservation team, probably no. But then there's also another card from Sharon that's that in which apparently we impugn North Dakota. Oh, dear. My intent was for you to have fun with puns and enjoy my postcard info. Why are you responding to my correspondence in such a hurtful way? Oh, dear. We must have really... Uh, what did we say? Must have really stuck it to North Dakota. Are you sure that that's what she means, or does she just mean you haven't replied? <laughs> that would be a hurtful way to reply to correspondence. Yeah, to not reply. But in a situation like this, where we often do make fun of people's letters in front of an audience right. of tens of thousands, I feel like Occam's Razor is... She did not like some joke we made about North Dakota. It is possible to make fun of North Dakota and not even realize it. I've never been there, so... Oh, that's right. That's one of your states you haven't visited. It's one of my nine. I have been there a lot. But even though she sent us this very disappointed note, she sent it in a beautiful Day of the Dead uh, greeting card. Is it so possible? advantage that, me. Is this a? Uh, is this one of those? Or maybe it's a threat? Well, wait a minute. She is sending me a picture of a skull with glitter on it. Can you reuse that card? Otherwise, advantage... Oh, it's true. Yeah. She enclosed a letter but did not actually write anything on this like oh, look at very that. expensive $6 greeting card. That's a beautiful card. Now you can use it to send somebody Day of the Dead greetings. I can send it back to her. Should I send it back to her? Dear Sharon, <laughs> we apologize for the misunderstanding. <laughs> we love North Dakota. North Dakota's amazing. Ha- happy Dia de los Muertos. Oh, speaking of which, it was your birthday yesterday. Happy birthday. Thank you. But That's going to take this show out of the, uh, the eternity and locate n- it in now time. Now people will know when we are. But yeah. also, maybe they won't make fun of me like or be angry at me like Sharon is because it's I'm, I'm the special birthday boy 
Cut me some slack, Sharon. It's my birthday yesterday. Does it say, Dear Ken? Is is she mad at you specifically? No, it's addressed to the Omnibus Project. So um, you're on the hook, too. You, you're thinking I'm the bad guy here, but what if it was you? The problem is I'm the only one of the two of us that's been in North Dakota, so it almost certainly was me. <laughs> you, you actually had firsthand dirt on North Dakota. Yeah. You know, I spent uh, I spent quite a, quite a f- uh, wild weekend in Fargo once, many moons ago. Is that right? Were you there for a few days from Brainerd? Because this is a movie. I uh, no, I, you know, I slept uh, for two nights in a laundromat in uh, Fargo before some guys in a biker gang res- rescued me. And did the took owners me home. of the laundromat know you were there, or were you hiding in the dryer? It was a twenty-four hour laundromat that no one appeared to be using. Ah, so, so mob front. Yeah. So, and I didn't have a place to sleep, and it seemed dry. If there's one thing the TV show Fargo has convinced me. It's that the upper Midwest is full of like super elaborate organized crime operations mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. I didn't know about. And maybe they're using a, maybe they're using a laundromat as their front. Hmm. Futurelings from our vantage point in your distant past, we have no idea how long our su- civilization survived. We hope and pray that the catastrophe that. No, you're there. Does us in, that finishes us up, that awaits us. The, the catastrophe we fear. We fear may never come. But. If the worst comes soon, this recording, like all our recordings, could be our final word. This may have bit, been, but yeah. May have, at this point, John does a, a cheese thing, but I'm not into that. Um, <laughs> but if providence allows, hey, I don't need the, I don't don't need need the thing anymore. No, I'm off the book. But if providence allows, we hope to be back with you soon for another entry in The Omnibus. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car, before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.